0: If you would turn with me in the scripture to Jeremiah chapter 33, I will begin reading at verse 14. And I will read to the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some Bibles located in the back and you can find the scripture passage on page 561. I encourage you Uh, to look on as I read and as we go through the passage together. Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and to make sacrifice forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also will my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, And the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah Have you not observed that that these people are saying, The Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people, so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, If I have not established my covenant with day and night, and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes, and will have mercy on them. This is God's word. Things were dark. The section that we just read, we don't really get a full understanding, a full weight of the context of what's happening in the book of Jeremiah, and particularly what Jeremiah is dealing with. This is, dealing with. This is a time of cultural decline, a time of moral decline, a time of spiritual decline, Around 120 years before this, the northern kingdom had been ransacked and carried off to Assyria, and now Babylon is knocking at the door of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is under siege. They're surrounded. In vain, the kings have torn down their own houses in an attempt to fortify the walls against the oncoming attack disaster was imminent, Jerusalem would fall. In fact, the Lord, earlier in this same chapter, tells through Jeremiah what's going to happen in verse 5. As they're building these defenses, the Lord tells them that they are coming to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I will strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. He said there would be massive death. The people would be carried away to captivity. Seventy years had been prophesied for God's people. Jeremiah had been thrown in prison because of proclaiming God's word. The people had turned a deaf ear to his message, and now he was thrown in jail. He was under guard. Following God and preaching God's word didn't shield him from persecution. In fact, it was the cause of it. Had he been silent and just gone along, he would have been able to live at peace. The people are in sin and rebellion. It seems as if evil had won the day. The people have hardened their hearts and God's word is ignored. God has told them that judgment is irrevocable and certain. They will be carried away into captivity. The remnant, those few who had been faithful to the Lord would be collateral damage. They would be caught and swept up along with everyone else and brought into exile. And perhaps those few faithful people, as they look around at everything that's happening and the world that's coming down around them, would start to wonder, Where is God? How could God let this happen? Has God forgotten about us? Does God really care? Suffering doesn't take a holiday during Christmas. And God doesn't promise to spare us from the pain and the heartache of this world. Just because we're believers, we still experience sin and sickness and sadness and death. Just two weeks ago, I drove up to North Dakota where I used to live to participate in a funeral for a friend of mine who was 41 years old from all outward appearances, was in perfect health, had a massive heart attack and died, left his wife and his three young children. His wife looked at me and said, I don't understand why. How could this happen? My wife and I just got a prayer request for some friends that had to drop everything and are traveling across country. Her brother is having heart problems. The grandfather is having congestive heart failures in the hospital. They don't know how long he's going to make it. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, man, this is a bummer Christmas message. This is depressing. Sin and sickness and sadness and death and siege. But Jeremiah reminds us of hope. He reminds us of promise. He reminds us of God's faithfulness. He reminds us to look back and to look around and to look ahead. In the midst of dark days, God encourages us through this word with three things. First of all, we remember God's past promises, secondly, we rest in God's present provision. And finally, we hope in God's future prophecies. There's a bulletin outline in the back of the, uh, of the folder. encourage you to turn to the back side and to, to follow along. As we look at this passage, first we are encouraged by God to remember his past promises. Uh, Verse 2 of Jeremiah 33, the Lord is talking to Jeremiah. He says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. He calls Jeremiah to remember that God is Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. In verse 14, he says, remember the promises made to Israel and Judah. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. He says, remember my word, remember my promises. In verse 20, he, he says, remember my, my promise made to creation, hearkening back to Genesis chapter 8 and 9. He says, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will, come, will not come at their appointed time, then God's promises may fall by the wayside. He said, look out the window. Look and see, has the sun come up? Has, has the moon risen at night? Has the day and night and seasons come and gone? He says, then you know that I will be faithful to my word and fulfill all that I have promised. In verse 25 and 26, as well as verse 15, he says, Remember my promised ruler. Remember the branch that is to come, the Messiah, the one whom they had been waiting for with anticipation. Think back of all the promises beginning from the time of creation. In Genesis 3.15, we're told that he will come through the seed of the woman. We're told that he will crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 12, we're told he comes through the line of Abraham. And later in Genesis, he comes through the line of Judah, and he comes through the line of Jesse. He comes through the line of David. They were to look and to remember. God had promised a deliverer would come. He would come from the town of Bethlehem. He would come as a child, as a son. He would be born of a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He will come in humility. He will serve as a prophet in Israel. He will bring good news to the afflicted. He will wash away the guilt of sinners. He will serve as a channel of divine blessing to the world. He will be rejected by man, pierced by the Jews, and crushed by God the Father. He will die as a substitutionary sacrifice for guilty sinners to provide forgiveness and salvation. He will be resurrected from the dead. He will come again in judgment upon the nations. And He will reign in perfect peace justice, and righteousness as king over the entire earth. And so they're told to remember he will be given glory and an everlasting dominion over all the nations and his kingdom will be established forever. And so God's people are told to remember past promises, to look back and to hold on in the dark, what you knew in the light. To look back and to remember all that God had said, to look back and see all that God had fulfilled. To look back and we, this side of the cross, can look back at the promises fulfilled in the person of Christ. Those who were looking forward in Jeremiah's day with hope and anticipation, we now look back and we remember The promises of God are not just principles to hold on to. I think sometimes when we think of the promises of God, we think about them, at least I know I fall into this trap sometimes of of thinking about them in terms of principles to remember. And I can fall into kind of this self-talk of pepping myself up by reminding myself of Scripture. But what we forget is they point to a person. They point to the reality of a relationship we have with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the promise that they were waiting for, and he is the present reality in our lives. Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. When we look at what God says in His Word, we remember that these aren't principles to remember and just to articulate. This is to call us into a deeper relationship with God. To know that He is our Heavenly Father. To know that Jesus is our Savior. He is the One who came. And that we are heirs of the promises. All the promises of God fall to us through Christ. And so we not only remember past promises, but secondly, we also rest in God's present provision. Notice what God says to Jeremiah in verse 3 He says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, commentators differ if this was a message through Jeremiah to God's people or if this was a message to Jeremiah. If it was a message to God's people, through Jeremiah was a call to turn and to repent and to turn back to God to find the truth of of God's word and his will. But I prefer to think of it as a word to Jeremiah, as an encouragement to him. As Jeremiah was turning to the Lord, the Lord is reminding him, Cry out to me, I am here, I am with you, I will listen to you. Prayer is a recognition of our need and God's provision. Prayer reminds us of how needy we are and how good God is to meet us, to strengthen us and to bring us through. God says, call to me and I will answer you. And what God said to Jeremiah is reflective of God's character to all of his people. He says, If you cry out to me, I will hear you. I am near to you. I am with you. And I am ready to answer. God's ear is inclined to his people. God provides through prayer. The Bible tells us we do not have because we do not ask. And so often, when we sit in circumstances that seem overwhelming, we tell ourselves we can't pray. But it is the one thing that we must do and remind ourselves that God is near and an ever-present help. So we rest in God's word. We rest in prayer. It's interesting that God even says these things. If, if you were to read through Jeremiah, if we were to take the time even just to read through chapters 32 and 33, and God is giving a trajectory of what's going to happen... and and the reality that it's irrevocable, that it is certain. You might wonder to yourself, why is God saying this? If God's already going to do what he's going to do, and the circumstances are already such, why is God saying this? God is saying this so that they can trust in his word. He wants his people to rest in his word. God could have done all of this without ever telling Jeremiah, without ever telling the people what was going to happen, but he gives them this word to give them hope and encouragement. He says to the faithful remnant, those who were walking with him through difficult times, know that you look around and see, but know that that is not the end. Know that there is something on the horizon, something that is coming up, and you can rest in my word and trust in my promise. All of the promises in the Bible and the stories of the Bible are given to us so that we can see God for who he is and trust him in the midst of what we're going through. I don't know the weight that you carry or the things that you brought in. I think of that friend of mine who lost her husband two weeks ago. And as we've been talking back and forth, she said, I can't pray. I don't know why God would do this to me. I don't know why this would happen. I don't know how I can ever hope again. And this word, God's word, is to her. And it's his word to us. In the midst of our circumstances, to look and to rest in the promises of God and the certainty of his word. He tells them this in the midst of it, to know that today is not the end that in the midst of what was happening as the world was coming down around them, that they could have hope and continue to move forward in perseverance, that they could rest in God's providence. Sovereignty and providence are related concepts. Sovereignty reminds us that God is on his throne and he is ruling and reigning. Providence reminds us that God is at work in the details of this world and in the details of your life. In fact, in Jeremiah 32, verse 28, God tells Jeremiah, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. God's hand is guiding all things, both the blessings and the tribulations. That doesn't mean we're going to understand why things happen while they're happening And some things in this life, we may need to wait till eternity and see how things have fit together. But we know that God is working all things out for his glory and for good. And that even in those things that we can't understand, we have a purpose. That there's a purpose in them. One of the things that we forget when we read a story like this is we read through Jeremiah and maybe... If we read through it a chapter or two at a time, it takes us a few weeks or a month or two to read through. But the things that Jeremiah was going through were day after day. He, he woke up in the morning without his freedom. He went throughout his day not knowing what was going to happen. He woke up knowing that the city was besieged and that people were going to die around him. He lived moment by moment in the reality of the things that we read about. And sometimes when we read a passage like this, we we gloss over that reality of how real it was every moment of the day. And so God reminds us to remember His past promises and to rest in His present provision. But we're also told here to hope in God's future prophecies. Jeremiah was told to hope. In fact, he was told earlier to go and buy a field. A field that he knew he, he, knew he wasn't going to cash in on in any, any reasonable time and not in his lifetime. But God wanted to show him that even though things seemed dark and bleak, that one day they were going to be restored, that the people were going to be returned, that God continued to work out his plan. And there were prophecies beyond that, prophecies concerning Jesus. Jeremiah tells us that this branch will reign in the throne of David and he will execute justice and righteousness. And so Jeremiah was told to look forward in hope of the future promises. Hope is what gives us the strength to persevere. When people lose hope, they lose the will to live. When people lose hope, they begin to to despair and become despondent. Hope is the motivation to continue to persevere with God. The Jews didn't understand all that was being prophesied here concerning the branch, concerning the leader that was to come. And even now at Christmas, as we look at the prophecies of Jesus, we look at those prophecies that I referred to earlier just in passing, as we look back and we remember the first advent of Jesus Christ, of his birth, of his perfect life, of his, his sinlessness, of his sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of his people, for the resurrection on the third day and his ascension into heaven. We look back at the first advent of Christ, but we are reminded that not all of the prophecies have yet been fulfilled. And so Christmas is a reminder of the promises of God and the prophecies of God. It reminds us to look back and to remember. It reminds us to look around and see God's hand at work. But it also reminds us to look ahead and remember that God is not finished and that there is a day that is coming. Remember the passage that was read in Acts. As Jesus was ascending into heaven and and sitting at the right hand of the Father, the angels say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an angel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. People endlessly debate the details of end times prophecy, and often miss the big point. I remember hearing once a a comment and it stuck with me. Uh, I heard a speaker say, God didn't call me, God didn't place me on the planning committee, he placed me on the welcome committee. And it's my job to be ready. You see, all of us have a view of what's gonna happen in the end times and you know the one thing I know is we all think we have the right view. But God didn't call and ask me my opinion of how Christ is going to return. And he's not going to follow my plan or my scheme or my ideas. But the one thing I do know is that Christ is coming back. And Christ is coming back to establish his kingdom forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will be with him forever. And that is the blessed hope that we wait for in anticipation. And as we sit in Christmas and we look back and we remember the promises of God, as we look around and we see God's hand at work, in hope we look forward and we remember that that same Jesus who came the first time, born as a babe, is going to come again, riding on a horse, riding in victory to establish his kingdom forever. Life is filled with pain. And as Christians, we we get no free pass from that. The death rate is still one to one. We don't know when and we don't know how sin and sickness and suffering and death are the lot of each one. But at Christmas, we're reminded of the breaking in of human history in God's plan of redemption. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He has saved us, his people, from our sins. He has called us his own. He has promised to be with us. And he gives us the hope for all of eternity. This same Jesus who the prophets foretold was born, lived, died, and rose again. He ascended into heaven and he's coming again to establish righteousness forever. And the hope and the promise and the provision that Jeremiah had as he looked back and he looked around and he looked forward is the hope and the promise and the provision that we have. We look back on the promises of God. We look around at the provision of God. And we look forward to the prophecies and the hope of what God is still going to do. Would you join me as I pray? Father God, Take your word and apply it to our hearts. Fortify our hearts by the truth of your word and the reality of your presence with us. As we look back, Lord, we are reminded both in your word as well as in our lives of your utter, absolute faithfulness. Lord, as we look around in uncertainty, we look at the political landscape, we look at the the geopolitical and the wars and rumors of wars and the terrorism and torture. But Lord, we look to you and know that you are at work in the midst of it and you are at work in our lives. And Lord, may we look forward with anticipation knowing that you will fulfill all that you have said from beginning to end for your glory. Stir our hearts, Lord, in anticipation as we remember the first advent in Christ. May we look with hope for the second advent of our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen.